0: We are into the second section of three of uh, six sessions on money, sex, and power. So two uh, two sessions on each, money, sex, and power, and the hope is that um, you'll all be offended in some way out of those, those three. So we're on to the first one of sex today. The second one is actually going to come... The, uh, the, the director, our national leader of our movement, Dave McGregor, he's um, recorded it and he's going to send it, so it'll be a projected one. Um, we'll be on holiday. Those of you that have kids at this school, you'll notice that the principal, Ann, she'll often put up a little pithy, uh, wise saying on her window, and I'm going to read one that was up a couple of months ago. And it said this, humans were created to be loved and things created to be used. The reason why the world is in chaos is because things are being loved and people are being used. Humans were created to be loved and things created to be used. The reason why the world is in chaos is because things are being loved and people are being used. I don't think any of us would disagree with that statement. But interesting that in a secular school, uh, the idea that we were created—we were created—and it's not our uh, accidental, chance meeting of molecules that we are all here. We were created, and that—that that we were created indicates actually that there is a creator, there is a designer. And if there's a creator and a designer, that suggests uh, probably that creator, that designer, knows best how we work. The creator knows best. And that is what Jesus said too. The creator knows his creation best. We're going to read Matthew chapter 19 verses 3 to 12. Matthew 19, 3 to 12 says this, some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read? He replied, Jesus replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man can give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, Jesus, if this is a situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born that way. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. There are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. So let's pray. Some uh, touchy subjects here. We realize that but we're not going to dodge it. So ask the Holy Spirit to help us. And you're welcome, Holy Spirit. You're welcome to speak to us. And we know that we are broken and fallen and sinful creatures. But we know that you know best. You are our creator. And even when um, we're not perfect, we know that you are perfect. And you love us. And you're full of grace and forgiveness. We thank you for that. Help us as we open up your word today. Amen. At the time of Jesus, there were two thoughts about divorce, two schools of thought, followed by, actually, there were two famous Jewish teachers, rabbis at the time, Hillel and Shammai. The Hillel school of thought taught that divorce should be given for the slightest reason. Uh, if, if the wife burnt the husband's dinner, she could be divorced. If the <laughs> if the husband saw a a prettier, younger potential wife, he could divorce. That was the Hillel school of thought. The Shammai school of thought was following the Rabbi Shammai was stricter, and the grounds of divorce with them was only an indecency done by the woman um, could. Could the husband then divorce her? A woman could not divorce their husbands, by the way. And so the question was posed to Jesus by the Pharisees, uh, basically asking, which way do you go, Hillel or Shammai? And they were not really looking for, for knowledge, they were looking for carnage. Often they would ask Jesus for uh, the, these questions to, to alienate him from one group of people or another. And Jesus, in fact, doesn't back either camp. He cuts his own track. And what Jesus does, is take the whole argument back to Genesis, back to God's intention for our sexuality. This is what Jesus does, takes it all the way back to the beginning. And so Jesus does that and uh, shows God's original intention was seen in God making woman out of man and making them... For each other, so Jesus has a high view, very high view of marriage, and at the same time, a very high view of woman. And they're not a commodity to be traded in for a newer version, or when you get frustrated by their cooking, no. And uh, at this point, the disciples of Jesus get surly. Verse ten, and say, "Well, it's better not to get married then, if you're suggesting even a harder line than Rabbi Shammai." And Jesus replies that, well, non-marriage will be a possibility or a reality for some. He says this, some have been made eunuchs. So castrated for those at that time, those that would serve in the royal courts. So are castrated for protection of the, um, the harem in, in the royal courts. Some will be born with birth defects and some will be given the gift of celibacy, that they are gifted by God to be able to live alone. That's not, that's not everyone's calling, but for some it is. And it's a gift. Paul esteemed celibacy too, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 7 to 9. But he said, if, if you're not given this gift, it's better to marry than burn with lust. So a summary. Jesus says God's original intention in the beginning was lifelong covenant between a man and a woman. In the beginning, celibacy is an option too. Uh, not as a higher level of spirit, spirituality, but as a gift given to some people uh, to be to be received for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Some some are okay um, living by themselves, and they can just pursue, uh, unhindered by, by spouse and family, the kingdom of God. Uh, but the world proposes other options. And I'm just going to read um, Val's options. So this is Val. And she's a, a counsellor in Auckland and one of those sort of um, woman weekly sort of Counsellors, you write questions and Val will answer them for you. Dear Val, I consider, this as a parent, I consider myself a loving, approachable and understanding parent. This week, my 13-year-old LGBTQI plus teen came out as polyamorous. In no way was I prepared for this. My 13-year-old doesn't seem to have nailed the relationship with themselves. Having multiple relationships with other people is worrying and concerning to me. What I know about polyamory is that people often end up getting hurt or hurting others. I don't want my teen to be amorous with anyone at 13, let alone multiple people. I've done some research and decided not to blow my stack. How can I approve or support them when their choice seems so terrible to me? How do I even address this with them in a way that's supportive but also challenging them to think critically? Regards confused parent. Dear confused parent, this is Val's answer. Dear confused parent. These are indeed difficult times for parents and teens. Navigating gender and sexual identity. Polyamory is characterised by or involved in the practice of engaging in multiple romantic and typically sexual relationships with the consent of all the people involved. So the source is Oxford Languages, polyamory. Val continues, for consenting adults, polyamory can be a viable way of being in a relationship. I have spoken to many adults with this arrangement, and it seems they only work well when there's a great deal of trust, consent, and boundaries in place. Explain the age of consent, and yes, that polyamory is best approached by consenting adults, you may have to set some boundaries. If we consider three main parenting styles, authoritarian, permissive, and authoritative. Did you hear that? Authoritarian, permissive, authoritative. Research shows authoritative approaches are best for children, particularly, particularly teenagers. This gives young people care, openness, and structure. In short, open-mindedness goes a long way, but it's okay to set boundaries and to suggest to your child that it's best to wait until they're older before going into intimate relationships. So Val, thanks Val, Val suggests, uh, if they're 16, you may choose to be polyamorous but have some boundaries. You might have noticed she said boundaries three times. She talked about structure. She talked about authoritative guidance on sexuality. Well, guess what, Val? We already have uh, from the Creator boundaries. We have authoritative word of how our sexuality works best. And we have structure. And at Wainui Beach Vineyard Church here, this is what we believe. This is what we promote, that in the beginning, God created male and female, and it works best in the marriage covenant. This is what we will promote. This is what we'll say. We know there are all sorts of options out there, but this is what we believe that Creator knew best when He created us. Amen? In the beginning... In the beginning, and in the now, in the now, in the now, we put too much weight on our sexual experiences. We try and make it a replacement for the worship of God. And this is where it becomes an idol, like anything, like our money can become an idol, like power can become an idol. Our sexuality can easily become an idol where we say it's the most important thing in life and that is the expression of my sexuality. Well, no, it's not. Only when God is the most important thing can other things in life become blessings in their right place, whether that's money or sex or power or anything else. Any other gift of God, when when God is in his rightful place is the most important thing, these other things fall into line. But when we elevate sex into the place in our hearts meant for God, uh, we ended up disappointed. Idols always do that. False idols, false gods always do that. They end up disappointing us. No relationship or experience can carry that weight. The, The legs are not strong enough on that table. If I just find the right person, it will will fulfill me. No, they won't. God has that place in your heart. No relationship can take that place. In Genesis again, we see Jacob. And Jacob was the, the grandson of Abraham and Sarah. It goes like this. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and by trickery, Their father, Laban Uh, Jacob ends up marrying both of Laban's daughters Both Leah and Rachel At the same time And, And it says, Rachel was easy on the eye And Leah not so And Leah was not loved by Jacob And Leah had child after child after child Hoping to change the heart of Jacob towards her And the names of her children reflect her pain. Genesis 29, 31 to 35. Verse 32. Reuben, first child. It is because the Lord has seen my misery, surely my husband Jacob will love me now. Verse 33. Simeon, the next child. Because the Lord heard that I'm not loved, he gave me this one too. Verse 34. Levi, now. At last, my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. And then there's a change. There's 35. Leah gets to her, first, her fourth child, and there's a change. She names him Judah and says, This time I will praise the Lord. This time I will praise the Lord. Her hope goes off her husband and off her children to provide all the love that she desires. There is a change. She says, this time I will praise the Lord. And she names him Judah. And guess which line Jesus comes out of? Judah. This time I will praise the Lord. The idol of relationship, of spouse, of family, she puts she takes out of her heart and she puts the Lord instead into her heart and gives the Lord the highest place. The highest place. And so, you know, those without spouses, we need to hear that God is the true bridegroom. And those with spouses, we need to hear that God is the ultimate spouse. Similar for families. You know, families can be a wonderful blessing of God, but when they're elevated too high a place in their hearts, they too can become an idol. You know, Jesus may not have been the most popular speaker on that, that Christian radio program, Focus on the Family, if you remember that. Uh, when the brothers and, and mother of Jesus turn up one time, Jesus is told this He says, Your, your mother and brothers are here. And Jesus does not say, oh, that's wonderful, my purpose in coming to earth is to make really stable, loving, biological, nuclear families. Jesus replies this, Matthew 12, who is my mother, who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Whoa. In the beginning, in the beginning, but in the now, you know, in the now, 2011, survey found 90% of all Americans had had sex outside of marriage, Uh, not just Americans, New Zealand would be similar, most Western adults would have had sex outside of marriage. You know, in the now, sexuality affects our spirituality, 1 Corinthians 6 says that, our sexuality and our spirituality are intertwined. Don't think that they're not. They are. In the now, not everyone will experience married sexual love. And even those that are married it won't be a wonderful experience. Not every marriage is a happy experience. Some will have the experience of unchosen celibacy. Some will have the experience of chosen celibacy. You know, it's a gift for some, like Paul, like Jesus. In the now, the biblical advice call is there to be mutual marital love and submission. Ephesians 5.25, it says this, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It will look different for each spouse, but at its best, marriage reflects the mutual affection and service of Christ for his bride, the church. Christ gave himself for her, for us. Sacrificial. In the now, the huge potential for righteous sexuality to have impact for the kingdom of God. Acts 18, Paul meets this couple called Priscilla and Aquila that had been uh, ejected out of Rome. And, and come to Greece, and we keep seeing them, Priscilla and Aquila, all over the place, uh, serving the saints in the kingdom of God. And for those that are celibate, um, have the freedom and energy, uh, the potential um, to serve in a really focused way, God. Jesus, Paul, and other examples, it will look different for each person. In the now, we find that our expressions of sexuality, even at the best, at the best, do not compensate for the feeling that there's something more. There's something more. There's, there's, there's more to it than this. I remember Shah's old um, leader at an old church in Hutt Valley. He was a, a pagan guy, just sleeping with everyone all over the place, and he says he had this feeling It's got to be more than this. In the the now, we find that our expressions of sexuality, even at their best, do not compensate for the feeling that there's something more. C.S. Lewis said this, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I find myself, a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. In the beginning, in the now, in the next life, in the next life. Matthew 22, verses 29 and 30. Jesus again having another fight. He says this, you are in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given a marriage, they will be like the angels in heaven. You know, at funerals, you hear it all the time. I'm not sure about that, but you hear it all the time. They'll say, Um, they're going to be together in heaven right now. You know, lovely married couple again. Well, in the next life, it's going to be different, Jesus says. Sure, it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be love, full of love. Heaven's going to be full of love and joy. Yes. But it's going to be different. The afterlife will not just be a continuation of worldly relationships in a new location. Things will change. Uh, in McCormick, the jellyfish man who came, went from death to life, he said, like, hell was just total blackness and loneliness. And heaven... Uh, was, was joy and love and just incredible lights, And our, our relationships will not, of our earthly relationships will look different there. That's what Jesus said. If you, if you don't believe me, believe Jesus, maybe. <laughs> and for those that have chosen Jesus in paradise, it will be love. Uh, we know of love now to an extent, but it'll be magnified beyond belief. What we know of joy, the same, magnified beyond belief. Because we were made for another world in the beginning, in the now, and the later on. Amen.